irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Let's start with an email. It puts perspective on what you're trying to do for the longer term versus getting caught up in the short term. I've been through the 1987 stock market crash. I've been through the dot-com bubble on the upside, the dot-com bubble when it burst in 2000. I've been through the great resignation, the great recession. I've been through the housing crisis. I've been through bird flu, swine flu, Ebola, SARS, COVID, and much, much more. Goal 4-1, goal 4-2. We've been there. We've done that. And someday, and this is going to sound evil, I'll be able to say, yeah, I, I lived through the queen dying. <clears throat> this, this stock market didn't get pulled down by that. But emails, I think, are a nice way of connecting that there's a human on the other side. I retired at 50. Starts this email. I get it. Went back to work at 53. Then a medical issue left me jobless. There's no such thing as safe money. When you see a scenario like that, it is a nightmare. I've seen too many people in my life try to retire when they hit 50, 52, 54. Kind of like I'm beating the system. I beat my mom and dad. They work till the day they die. They work till they were old. I'm getting out of this young. And they're like, oh, wait, wait. I don't qualify for Medicare, Medicaid, Medi-Cal. Nope. So be careful when you take your foot off the gas. This person sends an email that I retired when I was 50. Like many of us have worked since their teenage years, retiring with Medicare and Social Security, scary thing. Retiring without it is even scarier in my mind. So a lot of people go, oh, now I don't have health care and I have to pay for this. And maybe I should go back to work because, well, now I've been retired for a couple of years and I'm bored. So and then life's going to ring your bell. How many people do we know over 50 who are starting to get more and more complicated? How many of our friends, as we've watched the age, we're like, ooh, looks like they're taking an anti-cholesterol pill. Ooh, looks like they're taking a statin. Ooh. So this person had major medical issues. So major that when she returned to work, they let her go because they didn't think that she could keep up with the workflow. So she retires, spends a couple of years, gets bored, tries to go back to work, finds out that eh, she's the old person that no one wants to be next to. And then you're suddenly putting your job resume out at 52, 53, 54. And people are like, why are you looking for a job at such a late stage? Then you get to that age in your 50s where maybe you do have a stroke or maybe you do have some sort of issue with your health that, that you think is a disability that the state of California doesn't think is a disability. You need income. You can't get a job because you're too old. You need income. You can't get a job because you do have some disability. You try to apply for a disability and they're like, nope, keep filling out forms. There's no such thing as enough safe money. Okay, so maybe after 10 million. I don't know what the number is for me. 
where right now of me, my spouse, my kids were to have like some sort of cancer or some sort of heart attack or like, I don't know. What if it's a rare genetic disease that the, the anti-venom or the anti-serum is $50,000 a day? Like how many days do you go through? Retiring early is a dream for a lot of people. It's a nightmare for people who experience it incorrectly. Wanting to retire is not inherently wrong. It's not evil. I don't judge you. But wait till you're ready. I'm in that game right now where my kids are getting older. Um, and it stinks. And it, it, it's something you struggle with mentally. Watching them age. Retiring early means there are more years where you need to financially cover. Oftentimes on this show, I boil it down to you work from age 20 to 60. You retire from age 60 to 100, give or take on either side. You want your money to last till you're 100. I don't think there's any way on the planet I'm going to live to 100. Watch me be that guy who does. And I'll be like, dang, I should have thought I was going to live to 100. Today's retirees are expecting their accumulated assets to work for them roughly 10 to 20 years longer than we were 20 years ago. When I first got into the industry, the age where you started to rapidly decline was 70. Now we're seeing like 90-year-old people, strong as an ox. Retiring before Medicare is scary. Healthcare is expensive, even without an emergency. But when you get an emergency, you realize that a hard tax $50,000. So could I imagine retiring at 50 and just trying to wing it without healthcare for a couple of years? Nope. Not unless I went to a doctor and said, you're not going to have a heart attack for 10 years. I'd be like, that's going to be my retirement test. So it's not a dream if you have to start juggling Medicare eligibility. Medicare eligibility only begins at age 65 for most Americans. It also doesn't take into consideration long-term care. Which, fortunately for me, I think I'm going to be dead for my spouse. But, you know, having to think about the spouse's long-term care is important. I think long-term care is more of a woman's issue than a man's issue. Now, again, that sounds really sexist. But keep in mind, I grew up in a world where men went to work and women were the homemakers. So I kind of grew up with that as a natural inclination to say out loud. I've known probably nine out of ten people in long-term care be women, including my own mother. My dad had a nurse called my mom when he got cancer and was bedridden. He didn't go into long-term care. He went home and the person who cleaned up after him was his, his wife. So retiring early, it sounds fun. And trust me, if you have kids, there's probably, you don't get the time back somewhere between 12 and 14, they turn into teenagers and they want nothing to do with your smelly body when it's really the other way around. I think the world can change quickly. More than half of retirees say they could not afford more than $25,000 for an unexpected emergency. A lot of retirees do go back to work and they end up taking 40, 50, 60% pay cuts because the type of work isn't what they were trained for. It's now a lot more retail oriented. Now, I kind of like the idea of when I hit 62-ish, if that's when I officially retire or 60-ish, 
I kind of like the idea of being like a delivery guy for Amazon, maybe trying to be the hunk 60 year old delivery guy that, uh, the soccer mom's like, Hey, did you see Mr. Handsome come by? You got a package for me, buddy. I'm like, woohoo! you got some tea inside. I can out go up and sip on. I know you're saying, are those sexual innuendos? No, they're not. I just like, okay, I'm going to be quiet. So start thinking about your retirement and be careful wanting it in your fifties without really having a financial plan for that. It sounds great. And I know that sometimes as far as we get in life, trust me, it sounds great. You know, making whoopee, jumping out of a airplane at, you know, 30,000 feet. No, it doesn't sound great. <laughs> now that I've thought about it, no, it doesn't. Sometimes you have to spend a little extra time on your retirement plan and, and how it's going to play out other than I worked my whole life. It's I'm, I deserve this. Be careful with what you wish for. Hey, uh, this is a great scenario for a financial planner. You want to review your portfolio. You want to review, are you ready to retire? Drop me an email, Rob at Rob Black Show. It's Rob at Rob Black Show.com. I work with financial planners. I'd love to introduce you to someone who can help you with these retirement issues. An education first approach to managing your money. This is the Rob Black Show. Headline risk is something you really got to be very, very careful on. Um, whether it's things like Tesla sending Starlink satellite connectors for the internet to Ukraine. Did we need to know that? Nope. It's PR, right? Tesla will pay Ukrainian employees three months off so that they can go fight in the Ukraine war as they're called back. I don't think that's conscription, but it's pretty close if I remember the definition of conscription. And you go, okay, um, did we need to know Tesla's willing to do that? It's good PR. Be careful in the world of PR. Uh, there's all sorts of news headlines. The better you are at parsing it, <clears throat> good for you. I don't get too caught up in political news because I would just have high blood pressure. So I care more about my community and my neighbors than I do about headline news. With that said, I work in an industry that if I don't pay attention to headline news, I can't work in this industry. But I try to like almost meditate while watching, you know? You have to learn to filter the news. Otherwise, you're going to be a lousy investor. Amazon yesterday announced they're going to do a crazy 24-1 stock split. And I heard some analysts say, yes, yeah, on the show, I said, you know, I think Amazon's a once-in-a-lifetime buy. I agree with Morgan Stanley that they think the stock, or JP Morgan, excuse me, they think the stock's too cheap. They think they've had a year two years of investment. Now they're about to have a year, two year of, of turning on the revenue. Then they announced a 24-1 stock split and a $10 billion share buyback yesterday and stock exploded to the upside. Was I right? Yep. Was it good luck? Yep. Was the timing uh, insightful by me? Nope. Did I know they were going to come out one day later and talk about a buyback? Nope. Just luck. Now, what's interesting about it is a 24-1 stock split allows options. When you're a $2,000 stock, it's tough to buy a stock option because you have to buy a whole share. There's no partial shares in options. So I heard analysts like, oh, this is why Amazon's doing it. 
Okay. Stock has big moves up and down uh, depending on holiday seasons and pandemics and e-commerce trends. It's a good stock to play options with if you're good at playing options. I've met zero people who have a real job who are good at playing options. So if you're a firefighter, you're probably not going to be good at options. If you're a teacher, you're probably not going to be good at, at options. But anyway, I thought instantly when Amazon split, oh, this is a ch- time for the Dow Jones Industrial Average to put them into the Dow. Is Amazon a better reflection of our economy than Walgreens? I think so. Walgreens got to go. There was a comedian, Robin Harris, in the 1980s who unfortunately died way too young. But he had a hilarious bit. I think it was on Showtime. Like if you subscribe to Showtime, you could probably still look it up. But I remember it was hilarious where he was talking about the death penalty. He's like, oh, I'd, I'd be the governor, do them to them two at a time, governor. I'd do them two at a time. Like bring them all right up, you know, two at a time. And I always thought that was kind of funny because you don't think of executions as like fast food. Let's do it quickly. Let's do two for the price of one. Um, but I do think Amazon, it's ready to kick. I'm ready to kick Walgreens out. But again, the Dow was really slow to put Apple in. Apple goes up 10,000%. And then finally, the Dow puts them in. Microsoft does the same thing in the 90s and early 2000s. And then the Dow finally puts them in. If the Dow Jones Industrial Average is a reflection of our economy, I think Amazon should be in. And that alone should give the stock a little bit of upside. Because there's people like me who like to buy index funds and sit on them and accumulate more of them and accumulate more of them and accumulate more of them. Being added to an index, whether it be the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it's pretty good. Life is pretty good if uh, you're in that party sphere, so to speak. So let's talk again about corrections. Let's just pull out the playbook so you're ready. They happen and it's very normal. They happen every 1.8 years since 1950. Not every one of them turns into crazy crashes. In many instances, it only takes weeks to a few months to put a sizable drop behind us and be hitting all-time record highs. I don't think that should be the case right now. If we don't hit an all-time record high for 18 months, I'd be okay with it. I don't mind accumulating lower in my 401k. I hate that my fixed investments were probably 80% investment, 20% cash but I still have a lot of cash that I'm putting to work because I do like pullbacks. One of the things that pullbacks teaches me is understand your risk tolerance. It's very important, especially if you and your spouse are on different pages. When there's a really bad day and it somehow creeps into my spouse's world, She doesn't like look at me and go like, oh boy, I think we better start eating uh, cheaper. (laughs) Better eat leftovers again. Better uh, eat noodles, noodles for dinner again and hot water. She knows I'm cool. I'm collected. I've got a game plan. This I'm fine with. Cop pulls me over for speeding. I'm shaking like a epileptic leaf. Like I'm I'm bad. The adrenaline takes over. I, I, I don't know what to do. 
I don't know if I should like gun it and run to Mexico. Knowing that I've done nothing, I just, I, my demeanor set up for stocks. It is not set up for being pulled over. I know one of you psychologists are going to email me and tell me that I've got issues. One of the things I like to do is regularly take the time to address my holdings. And uh, a couple of years ago, Brad, my CFP is like, Hey, I see that you've got some Chevron techs going here and uh, oil's not doing that great. And I'm like, yeah, I just own it for the dividend. It's really just a pure dividend experiment. I don't want to watch from a distance. And I said, uh, you know, I've seen oil at 150. I've seen oil at, at zero at six bucks. Um, I thought the world was going to end when oil stayed at 12 bucks for a long time in the 1990s. I said, just hold it. Uh, oil is cyclical. It'll have its day. There'll be some sort of war. There'll be some sort of threat. There'll be some sort of pipeline disruption. There'll be some Gulf accident where dolphins are dying. Oh no, the dolphins are dying, but they taste delicious in my tuna fish. Oh no, extra oil. And sure enough, oil has its day. It's cyclical. Was I right? Nope. I was just paying attention to history. Anyway, I like white noise when I fall asleep. I do not like white noise when it comes to investing. I like to be very clear about what I have and why I have it. I like to look at my holdings on occasion. Not like I adore them like your little trophies. But like human beings, but I still want to be associated with them. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Don't miss an episode of The Rob Black Show. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Invest in what is really important. Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. Are you concerned with financial planning, tax planning, managing your investments, or just planning your retirement? Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP has your financial future in mind. Learn more by visiting robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black sitting in with Adam Phillips, CFA, CFP, Director of Portfolio Strategy with EP Wealth. Still a quick report card on the markets year to date. The NASDAQ's down 14.9% as the week started. The S&P 500 down 9.1%. The Dow down 7.4%. 10 year Treasury's given us a little bit of a break at 1.7%. Couldn't really hold two. Bitcoin down 17%, and oil's up 69%. This year, in a year we don't want inflation, we're getting it in energy costs big time. Oil play with $125 a barrel this weekend. Of note, gold, an asset that's considered a safe haven, crossed $2,000 for the first time since September 2020 when we were panicked about the pandemic and the effects it would have on the global economy. Let's talk with Adam Phillips. A little bit of a change of tone as the calendar hit March. What are you seeing, Mr. Phillips? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a lot of that change in tone is due uh, to the, the rise in commodity prices. You mentioned oil prices flirting with $125 a barrel, highest since 2008. And so naturally, we're seeing that uh, creep into the price of gas, uh, gasoline prices. And so it's, it's about that substitution effect. If they're spending more filling up their tanks, what does that do to consumption down the road? And I think that's really what's playing into a lot of this uh, this change in tone, change in sentiment that we're seeing play out in the markets right now is how how much worse does this get, and what kind of long term impact does this have on the economy? We certainly know it's going to wreak havoc on the Fed's goal of uh, of raising rates starting in March, which is certainly uh, still on pace, but uh, it's definitely not going to be an easy uh, climate to navigate. 
certainly interesting time. Speaking of gas prices, I want to throw out some thoughts there. In California, the average is $5.28. We have higher taxes than other parts of the country. In Missouri, it's the lowest in the United States right now, um, pulling in at a $3.60 roughly. Hawaii is at $4.69. Nevada is at $4.52. Oregon's at $4.46. So it, it's nationwide. It saps our spending power. And even though you said it affects people in lower income brackets than yours, Adam, it affects yours too, because you probably have 20 or $30 less for dinner, 20 or $30 well, less for a ticket. That's, that's true. And there's a reason I decided to eat at home last night with the family, uh, because before I went to fill up my tank, we were talking about me maybe uh, picking up something on the way home or, or, or going out once I got home. And uh, those plans definitely changed. And I thought, you know what, we have leftovers. Let's just eat what's, eat what's here. And so it definitely speaks to the difficulty these days. So this is going to play into the Federal Reserve's hands as, you know, this is the month of March. This is the month where we're expected an interest rate hike, maybe two 50 basis points instead of 25. Um, do you think the Fed's going to look at this as Adam will get back to being Adam, Rob will get back to being Rob, vacations will open back up? Or, or is this inflation issue going to be more problematic because airlines are cutting costs at this point in time because of higher jet fuel prices up 30% in a week? Um, gasoline prices are higher, steak prices higher, chicken prices are higher. We can only shift down so much to offset the effects to you and me. What do you think the Fed's going to do as uh, far as what they're seeing from the war in Ukraine and how it's playing out in inflation? You know, unfortunately, I don't think they have a choice but to raise rates. And Jay Powell, uh, chairman of the Fed, testified before the Senate Banking Committee uh, for two days last week, and he acknowledged that, 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 Fed, that the, the March FOMC meeting which is the meeting of policymakers, uh, is, uh, is scheduled to be a live meeting, meaning they're going to uh, likely raise rates by 25 basis points. I, I think that's where, where most are expecting them to come in. It's no longer a 50 basis point hike, although he left that uh, on the table for uh, future meetings. But I think that with, with inflation being where it is at um, seven, call it seven and a half percent and perhaps trending higher over the short term, I think the Fed really needs to uh, do what they can to uh, put some downward pressure on inflation. I, I think in the very beginning, it probably won't move the needle too much, but I think it's better than doing nothing. You know, there's something to be said for fixing the roof while the sun is shining. And I, and I think what the Fed is already dealing with right now is the fact that they have, some think they've waited too long in, in uh, raising rates and, and trying to take some of the inflationary pressures out of the economy. And I think Jay Powell in his testimony last week even acknowledged that, that maybe they should have started a little bit earlier, um, but he said they're going to do what it takes to uh, make sure inflation is brought under control. Well, uh, you know, time will tell. Um, but um, you know, obviously, we know the Fed doesn't have the best track record uh, when it comes to fighting inflation. Sometimes they go a step too far and they end up doing more harm to the economy than good. So I think we're all just going to kind of wait and see here. But I, I certainly think that at least over the short term here, they're going to be taking some uh, some pretty aggressive steps to, to do what they can. So CPI, the Consumer Price Index, comes out, I believe, on Wednesday this week. Um, yeah. Are you expecting it to be a market mover or are we still in the world of Ukraine and Russia as the market mover? We seem to be out of earnings season. What's the catalyst you're seeing these days? So let's talk about what, what the street is already expecting. And, and it's they're expecting for inflation uh, on a year-over-year basis to come in somewhere around uh, 7, 7.8, 7.9% year-over-year price growth. So really high level. So I think if, if, there, if this is a market mover, it's uh, if inflation surprises to the upside, and it actually comes in hotter than, than the market is expecting. 
Um, hopefully that is not the case, but I think we've we've come to realize that uh, surprises happen, and uh, and you know unfortunately we're we're just kind of uh, in many ways learning as we go here, um, because there is uh, not a, not a whole lot of visibility. We've we've now we're now dealing with our second supply shock. The first one was COVID, obviously. The the the, uh, the second one being Russia now and what it's doing to energy prices. And so I think that. The story is that you know if, wherever inflation comes in, it's going to remain top of mind even after this report because inflation, if it comes in at 7.8%, 7.9%, it's probably not going to top out there. We know that the latest news around Russia and what's happening with energy prices means it's going to be with us for longer than we had hoped uh, or anticipated. And, and so it's uh, something that's going to be top of mind, but I would say on a day-to-day -day basis, and really what is causing a lot of these inflationary pressures to persist is what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. So I think that that's ultimately is going to be what's uh, garnering the most attention among investors uh, in the coming days. It's interesting that um, I've been in this industry for roughly 25 years and you never see the event coming that comes to kind of cause the hiccup. But then again, you get past it five, six months. And you're like, you already forgot about it. Last year at this time, we're talking about Omicron and Delta. This year, we're talking about Russia and Ukraine. By the end of the year, maybe it'll be an assassination, maybe it'll be a war, maybe it'll be something in Africa. It'll be a different place, so to speak. What's your thoughts on, on gauging your portfolios or gauging your patience with the market on current events? Um, Maria, Bar Maria Bartiromo once talked about all the different risks, and she said headline risk is a real thing. Are we in headline risk right now, or are we in economic peril, per se? So I, I think the headline risk is real. You don't want to completely ignore that. And, and it's hard to ignore it when you see the price of your portfolio losing value. Uh, but, 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 but I would say, you know, what, we're, what we want to focus on is, is the economics here. And is this more of a short-term thing that's more related to those headlines, to the noise, if you will? Uh, or is there really something there um, that, uh, that we need to worry about? And I think that's what we're trying to determine really on a day-to-day -day basis. This situation is fluid and unfortunately I and really no one can't predict how this is all going to shake out. I would say if history is a guide, it tells us that these are historically things that you want to uh, remain disciplined through and, and, and you don't give in to the, the panic, to the emotions and, and follow the herd that is that is currently selling because if these things blow over, then if you if you focus on the 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 underlying um, pillars of the economy, things look pretty darn good, right? We, we saw in last Friday's payroll report, we saw about 680,000 or so jobs added. We saw revisions to the prior two months. Uh, we're, we're seeing uh, balance sheets are strong. So there's a lot of good things to say about this economy, but I think that we're, you know, we're waiting to see uh, just where this, uh, where this conflict goes. Does it escalate? I think that's what we're uh, we're really just going to be watching pretty closely here. I would say that although history is a guide, I, I would say that we are mindful that there are some parallels here uh, between what's going on today and what happened in the uh, the, the Yom Kippur uh, War in the early '70s, right? When when which which led to the uh, Arab oil embargo um, because the the Middle East. Uh, oil oil producers uh, wanted to retaliate against the U.S. for their support of Israel, and so this is very similar in that we're seeing um, we're seeing the, these pressures on oil uh, lead to higher prices. It's creating a lot of havoc in the equity markets, and it's uh, uh, creating a lot of talk about stagflation or even the R word recession. And so I think that's one of the things that that we look to as as maybe a um, you know a, a worst case or a worst case scenario, um, but our base case is still that this will um, will hopefully uh, blow over. Brought to you by EP Wealth. 
This is the Rob Black Show. There's some stocks that I look at. I'm like, nope, that's not for me. Let me give you a couple examples. And what I mean, for me, there has to be kind of a story. There has to be earnings. There has to be revenues. There has to be some debt issues or not debt issues. There's things that I look for inside of a company, right? Goodyear Tire and Rubber stands to benefit from the auto industry shift to electric vehicles. This is an article from Barron's that I'm looking at right now. Ticker symbol is GT. Now I'm like a little bit older. I certainly didn't need a tire company in my 20s and 30s as an investor. I was in love with tech in my 40s, so no thank you. Who needs a tire company? Aren't those those things on your car that go round and round? Yes. So the company has cost pressures due to commodities. You've heard commodities are expensive, right? Whether it be the oil and gas that is involved in manufacturing and shipping of everything, as well as heating of our homes. Or whether it be the gold, the zinc, the palladium, the nickel. We're hearing more and more about metals that were like nickel. Nickel. Oh, yeah, a nickel. Um, commodities are on a tear. I own a commodities fund through my exposure at EP Wealth of letting the investment policy committee manage a chunk of my money. Um, you can too, by the way. I've never in my mind would have said, oh, it's time to own a hard asset fund. It's 2020. We're in the pandemic. I would never, ever have caught myself and said, you know, what I really want here is a flute. No, not, we're not going after Moderna or Pfizer. I would have talked myself out of commodities. I'm glad I didn't. So Goodyear makes tires. Tires are part of transportation, right? The company has exposure to the large North American replacement tire market, which is the most lucrative in the world. Do you remember when you were a kid and you're not a kid, but remember when you're in your twenties and like you'd, have a, just a beat up jalopy, a, a hoopty mobile, as I like to refer to them. Um, and your tires were like 30 bucks each. And you were just trying to get it under $200 with everything on and balanced and all good to go out the door, taxes and everything. Goodyear aims for the premium market domestically, while Cooper focuses on lower price tire. Same company, right? Nope. So there's two tire companies that I could think of, Goodyear and Cooper. Now, Goodyear has merged with Cooper, taking one of the players off. Now, Goodyear was high-end premium tires. Cooper was kind of like the, the budget tires that you're like, I just hope it doesn't blow out in the first 10 miles. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to say that because I could get sued. I got to be careful on that. Um, back in 1898, Goodyear was a company, leading manufacturing company of the 20th century. I know, wait, wait, did you say 1898 or 1998? It was a member of the Dow Jones Industrial Average from 1930 to 1999. It should get a lift from pent-up demand as when things reopen more, we're going to be traveling more. As we travel more, we're going to be driving more, sometimes flying more. Unlike the major automakers that are being disrupted by the shift to electric vehicles, tire makers benefit either way. In fact, quicker. 
EVs require more durable, smoother riding and costlier tires to deal with a heavier weight and better acceleration relative to cars. The added challenge is to hold down the tire's weight and roll in resistance to help maximize battery range. My tires on the Tesla, they're $400 tires. And they have foam inside them to kind of keep the, the car, uh, road noise down. And most tires don't have foam inside them. And guess what costs more, foam inside a tire or no foam in tire? Foam inside tire, more. So the auto industry, when you're thinking about electric vehicles, you could think, okay, let's think about this for a second. There's going to be a shift. There's going to be a move. Gas at $4, $5, $6 a gallon. People are going to be driving. They're going to be saying, honey, I think we should get an electric vehicle. And he's like, no, I want the power of a, a diesel. And I'm like, you can get the same kind of power in electric now, bud. Um, that's me talking to my own impression. My Southern impression is, is being chastised by my Northern California impression. At $4.3 billion, Goodyear's market value is tiny compared with France's Michelin and Japan's Bridgestone. Both Michelin and Bridgestone weigh in at more than $25 billion and trade for about 10 times projected earnings, a premium to Goodyear. Goodyear's cheap. It's trading for fractions compared to Bridgestone and Michelin. Goodyear doesn't pay a dividend is one of the reasons why. But Goodyear's a good position to get some love from the Biden administration. Now, Goodyear probably can't be purchased by Bridgestone or Michelin because it would be not in the nation's best interests. But Goodyear can be taken private, and you rarely talk about this. It's a good company without a lot of competition. You can count on a three-fingered hand how many players there are, and they just acquired one of the lower-end tire makers, taking a company out when Rob would say, yeah, I want $200 tires, not $400 tires. Now you're only left with the $400 tire choice or maybe not as much inventory on the cheaper stuff. Goodyear's ability to offset sharply higher input costs, including those for natural rubber, synthetic rubber, and carbon black, a petroleum product that improves the tire performance. Ocean freight costs are two to four times higher than they were a year ago. These are all hitting them. And the beautiful thing about Wall Street is Wall Street tends to like a beat up company because it's shown that it can take everything that we're throwing at it. One Wall Street analyst sees 50% upside of the stock based on the ability to generate income and the transition to EVs, which are more expensive tires. I don't know if you got that from what I was putting down. The dynamic for price increases to offset higher raw material costs is better than many people think. The supply demand backdrop for tires is favorable. It's a good position to drive better cash flow going forward. Goodyear projects $250 million of annual cost benefits stemming from the Cooper merger. Goodyear declined to comment on this article. It's a stock that I wouldn't have thought about. It's a stock that I probably wouldn't even be interested in. But in this kind of stock market where I find it up and down and up and down, I'm going to say, you know what? Let's take a couple seconds and for the first time in a long time, punching Goodyear tire and rubber. And you see it at a PE of four. And you hear about the stock market having crazy high valuations. 
you don't see a dividend on it. You see the higher commodity. So you're building positive and negative cases. I'm at least 40 hours away. Eh, 10 hours away of actual reading research and annual reports and quarterly reports to S filings before I would ever personally take a position in it. Do I see some intrigue? I do. Do I see the high price of oil breaking like it did yesterday, even if it's only temporary on its way to 200? Commodities tend to break and help you because we treat them as inflation. With my gasoline-powered truck, I'm now like, oh, I'll take the EV. And wife's like, that's mine. I'm like, look over there, it's Elvis Presley. And then I'm driving away in the EV. We change our behaviors because of cost. One of the craziest things I'll talk about this in the company in weeks is I've got solar installed in the last year and I have an app and I'm obsessive about squeezing every last penny of savings. I've, I've cut my electricity usage easily 30 to 40% in the winter months because I'm like, uh, I want to see this number go down. And it's just a weird, it's gamification. But commodities kind of set that up too. So when inflation sets a fresh 40-year high, I'll be honest with you. Here's a good example of inflation. And maybe it's my age. Maybe it's just I've been around this earth too much. But do you remember when the price of a, a good steak at a restaurant was like $25? And it was $30 and it was $35 and it was $35 and then it was $40 and then $40, $45, $50. I regularly see, I regularly see prices now at $50. Now, you may be getting a little bit more bone. You may be getting a little bit bigger size to justify that $50 price target. But, oh, let's just say I'm like, I'm like starting to look at other like, oh, let's see if they have a New York steak. Let's see if they have a nice chicken dish that I would like. Your eyes start coming down at some sort of price point. That's one of the beautiful things about real estate is that I can tell you the home's overvalued. I can tell you that the home is, no one would pay that per square foot. And then you put it right next to an elementary school and some mom's willing to overpay and, and put her kid right next to the elementary school so she can walk her kids to school, get coffee with the ladies and have this white picket fence kind of thing. There's ways of getting around price justifications in your head. Just saying, I'm taking a look at Goodyear Tire and Rubber, an old company. I was on this planet 70 years before I was even born. Think about that for a second. They've been traded publicly for 100 plus years. They've been out there on the stock markets and selling tires. 120 plus years. Whoa. Older than your grandparents, right? Yes. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show.